Support for this podcast comes from PayPal. Small business owner, PayPal QR codes are the safe and easy payment option. It's all the security PayPal is known for online, in person. Cash only, QR codes allow you to accept credit or debit with everyday low fees. No additional hardware or software needed. Use the app to generate your unique QR code. Customers scan your code with their PayPal app to pay you. Learn more at paypal.com slash us slash get QR code. Welcome to the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. My name is Josh Carey. You want in on a little secret? I was in hiding for 40 years. Yeah, I was hiding every part of myself in every situation. And I can tell you one thing. Hiding sucks. I'm now on a mission to help extraordinary people like yourself rediscover the world around you, connect beautifully with others, and excel tremendously in all you set out to do. Join in. It's The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. And just like that, I am sitting here with Christine Kane, who is the author of an incredible Amazon, dare I say, best-selling book. It's called The Soul Sourced Entrepreneur. Let me repeat that. If that doesn't resonate, I don't know what does. It's called The Soul Sourced Entrepreneur, an unconventional success plan for the highly creative, the secretly sensitive, and wildly ambitious Christine, how are you? Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm good. Really happy to be here. Absolute pleasure. So your book recently released on Amazon, um, dozens of five-star ratings. I wouldn't expect anything less. Um, I want to talk about the book, certainly, but I want to talk about one specific part of that tagline that really got to me. It says an unconventional success plan for the highly creative, secretly sensitive and wildly ambitious. I feel like I'm all three, but let's talk about that middle one. Secretly <laughs> sensitive. Why is that there? What does that mean? And who in the world are we speaking to? I love that you brought that up. That's a really great first question because that was up for grabs with the publisher they, you know, a lot of the people working at the publisher did not like that. Some people raised their hands and said, that's not me. That's not business owners. That's not entrepreneurs. No one will resonate. And yet wow. I refuse to take that out because my client, they can make six figures, seven figures start from nothing. And every one of them, even the most kick-assiest of them will admit yeah, I have this side. I have this intuitive, quieter side that I don't show much of the world. And some of them do, but I always say vulnerable is the new strong. And so I left that in there because mm. I think that the secretly sensitive is actually the secret strength of many of the entrepreneurs I work with. They just don't know it at first wow. and they aren't sure how to access it at first. You must be a Brené Brown fan. I love Brene Brown. I am. Yeah, why would I mean you? I am, yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm, what's not to love? <laughs> I'm actually um admittedly, uh, you know, I'm I'm aware of her and her work and what she stands for and the themes. I've never read a book of hers, but I just started reading uh Daring Greatly. And mm -hmm. uh it's it's phenomenal. And uh it's all about vulnerability and the need for that in all sorts of successful people. Uh so I love that that's where we're going with this secretly sensitive. Um I admit I'm extremely sensitive. I have a seven-year-old daughter, a five-year-old son, and I love, I, I comment on this all the time because I see it all the time. My five-year-old son is so darn sensitive that I'm like, I see me and you, boy. I see it. <laughs> Keep that going. It's all fine. Yeah, and it can feel like it is such an, a liability. And I see people try to... Um, just smoke and mirrors everything as if they're not. And once they realize it's completely okay and it's a strength, mm. then, and, and it actually helps you with your marketing and with your selling. I mean, it, it, it's hard to sell if you aren't em empathetic in some way or compassionate in some way. So I think it's a strength. And mm. so I did, I fought for that. 
And it's so funny how many people have said to me, yeah, it's not me. <laughs> or it's it, that one line, that one little phrase. Yeah. But I'm, I love wow. that you brought it up. Yeah. I, I, I would also bring up the highly creative. I know that we are all, no matter who you are in business, out of business, around business, we are all creative by, I think, the very nature of human being. We are, by definition, creative. But do you find that so many people will resist that and say, no, nah, unfortunately, I'm not creative? Typically, when someone has that kind of response, I don't know, I, I would start to walk into, is there an assumption about what creative means mm. in the backdrop of that person's mind? Wow. Because I think we often, we think creative equals artist or painting yes. or something. And, and so creative takes so many different meetings because, you, you know, we, we talked before the show, I used to be a musician and I have people say to me all the time, gosh, don't you miss it? All that creativity. And, and I'm, I just have to say, well, I'm just as creative now as I was then writing songs. So it just depends on how you gauge that and how you how you think of yourself. But I, I'm not going to do one of those like blanket statements of we're all creative because then we're bordering into that territory of like, uh, I don't know. It just, I, I think we really have to get defined on what that means. And yes, at some level we are, mm -hmm. but... And I think all entrepreneurs are. I just don't think, you, I, I mean, we all just poop out ideas every minute. Like we can't get enough ideas. We, we got to learn how to manage ourselves. It's like a new idea, a new idea, a new idea. And if someone says they're not creative while they have a business, I think you could always find ways to prove otherwise. So now let's backtrack into the actual title instead mm -hmm. of focusing on that wonderful, robust tag, uh, the sole sourced entrepreneur. What are we talking about there? So... It's a, it's like I said, it's an unconventional way of looking at it, but really it is, it could be inner directed, but it is a way that I've learned to coach my entrepreneurs to mine inside themselves for their best answers, for their best strategies, and to use what comes up as sort of fodder for the next steps, for clearing away the obstacles and see it as necessary for discovering those step next steps as opposed to what most people do, which is avoid and, oh my God, no one should see that part of me or, oh, this is terrible, this is coming up. And the, the whole book begins with talking about intention. And when you set an intention, whether it's for your business or your art or whatever it might be, the first thing I've noticed that that intention brings up, both in my experience and with thousands of clients, is it brings up anything unlike itself, meaning it's bringing up what's in the way in order to be cleared. And so soul-sourced means you celebrate that, you work with that, you don't avoid it and hide it and stuff it and repress it and fake it. Hmm. When you had brought up your... <laughs> your musical and musician background. Um, when you are Google searching your name, uh, your wonderful first result labels you American musician, which uh, is fantastic. Yeah, it does, uh -huh. which, is, which is great. Cause then you could, you know, I, I then went to YouTube and then I listened to your songs and very, very um, beautiful and inspiring in and of itself. Thank you. How long, how long ago and how long were you actively a musician? For 15 years. So right out of college, I, I had a job in a cubicle and I kind of had one of those, I, I think you've had these two, but I had that, I can't do this. I have to like break these chains, these expectations. I have to let down my family and my friends and I've got to pursue this thing I want to do. And I'm going to admit it, and I'm going to go for it, and I went for it. And so music was sort of my first training ground for everything that I have learned because I not only had to kind of understand creativity and writing songs and performing and music, it was also, I started to realize I'm not going to get discovered here, and I had to build a business to support this thing I love doing. Mm. And the whole 
the whole gamut of it just taught me everything. And I'm so grateful for it, but it also did get pretty successful for, for an independent musician. I wasn't Madonna, but um, it was a, a really steady, successful indie music, my own little record label career. So, mm. yeah. Yeah, we, um, we have not only the, the arts in connection and in similarity, but I was pursuing that dream professionally in New York for 15 years as well. Mm, really? From 93 to 2008, 15 years I was in there New York come. doing that. And, and I too, you know, I had some, I'm very proud of the time. I love the credits on my resume, everything from comedy clubs to feature films and stage and just all kinds of great ups and downs. Through self-awareness and assessment, I have found that I got bit by the acting bug in eighth grade, and <laughs> it was because I was getting external approval in that moment, <laughs> and I thought that, well, this is the answer to all my dreams, isn't it? I'll just become an actor, and I'll live happily ever after because I will get everyone else to applaud everything I'm doing on stage, behind the camera, what have you. Um, you know and it's obvious how shallow and uh, ill-proportioned that is. Is there a reason you find that drew you into the uh, performing arts? So I tell a story in my book about one time when I saw Dustin Hoffman on Inside the Actors Studio. I love the story already. And he, uh, he describes a moment when he was eating dinner with Laurence Olivier and he, they had a discussion about why it is that we do what we do. And he was having this noble moment of acting. And Laurence Olivier said, you want to know why, dear boy? And he leaned over in Dustin Hoffman's face and he said, look at me, 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 look at me. <laughs> and I loved that moment. And, you know, of course, the sure. whole audience just bursts out laughing because we all see ourselves in that. But there's a freedom to it. And I believe that most of us begin what we begin for these non-noble sort of reasons. Like we feed the deep God hole inside of us. Like, oh, if I can get enough people to clap at me, I will be realized. If I can make enough money, I will be realized. And I think that our ego and all of its needs and grabs and wants often starts us on the path that takes us where we truly ultimately solely need to go. Like, I think our soul is part of that calling, but it's not going to get us there by saying, you too can be so beautifully Mother Teresa-like in all your work. I think sometimes when we need to go on the path, it's those grabby, grimy little look-at-me's that start it. And then suddenly we realize at some point, like I had a moment where I really was ready to quit music because it wasn't enough. Hmm. Then I realized, what if this is something deeper? You know, what if there is something bigger going on here? And I stuck it out and I really, really got clear that there is some bigger stuff happening here. And that shifted everything for me. So yes, I, to answer your question, all I wanted, <laughs> all I wanted was approval. I never got it from, you know, from, fam you know, I'm not saying my family didn't, but I had, I think it was like, there's always that one parent that doesn't quite get there with you. <laughs> And that was my dad for me. And I, I th and I wasn't consciously doing that. I don't think any of us are consciously doing that. But when you look back, you realize, well, there, there was a lot of that need there. So yes, grabbing, wanting applause, thinking that would do it was, was definitely the first motivator. As much as I loved art and music, all that was there too. But I had a heavy dose of the look at me's. Mm. What about the, as an artist, the tortured soul aspect of things? Was it ever really dark for you and questioning everything? Um, still is at some level, I think. Um, and I'm not saying I walk around being really dark, but I think the deep questioning at first it can feel very dark. And, and I also, I work with a lot with, with the Enneagram and with other different personality types. And I, I think that there are some people who are more drawn to the dark side and artists tend to be that way. But um, yeah, I went through a, just a lot of ups and downs emotionally and, and had to really get a sense of how to, which is where a lot of soul sourced entrepreneur came from, is really learning how to manage all that energy, manage all that power in yourself because it makes for a more healthy existence and it makes you a better servant to your clients, makes you a better participant with your partners and vendors. And so 
learning how to navigate those deep, dark waters can be both, you know, connective in terms of your growth, but also healing in terms of your relationships with others, your ability to have a team and your ability to be self-aware in all that you bring to the table in entrepreneurship and arts. What do you bring to the table? I, it's funny, I did a, um, I've done a lot of exploration on this in terms of, we call it superpower at my company. What's your superpower? Dan, Dan Sullivan calls it your unique ability. Mine is that I'm really capable and really good at seeing people for their true greatness. So I, I feel like I'm kind of a catalyst for people and I really anchor them to their greatness from their seemingly imperfect starting point. And I keep them, I'm really good at keeping them on that path because I think gravity strikes, our old habits come back up. We're tempted to go back to normal and sink. And I'm very good at holding the space for people to see what's possible for them. And I've done that even as a musician, by the way. Like I, people kept coming up to me for coaching after my shows. And I would say to other musicians, do, you know, do people do this with you? And they're like, no. <laughs> and I, don't have, I didn't have a shtick on stage where I was trying to be all inspirational at all. But people kept finding something in me. And this is what started me really seeing, what am I really here to do? Is it to be on stage and perform or is it to really serve people? You, today, you're, you're also the founder of Uplevel You, mm -hmm. right? Y-O-U, yes. Uplevel You. Um, it's a multi-million dollar coaching company. How, how does somebody reach that level of business through a coaching company? So I, start, I had a very strong list of followers when I was a musician. And when I was a musician, I started to, because I got so many requests for people asking, how do I follow my dreams and that kind of thing, I started doing these little three-day retreats. It was, it was for women, and they were here in Asheville, where I live, in the mountains. And those started to sell out. And then I started doing them twice a year. Then I started doing them three times a year. And so I already had kind of groomed my list to realize there was more going on here. And then when I made my last CD, and you and I have a similar timeline, because my last CD I made in 2009, and I opened up Level U officially in 2010. And that was when I left the, the, the music behind. And I didn't like just sort of say, I'm doing coaching now. I just, I kept offering different online programs, retreats, events, and, it, and eventually I just said, you know what? I really want to create a year-long coaching experience for people. And it was, you know, I called it a mastermind like most people do. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, it filled up and I just started on that path. And so Uplevel You, I didn't have the name for it, right? Then I didn't call it Uplevel You from the start. It was just like, this is what I'm doing now. And it kind of naturally evolved in 2011. I think I named it Uplevel You because my first program was called Uplevel Your Life. Oh, cool. I know that so many in this space, and really any space, I would venture to say, battles at some point or another with personal value and you know how it relates to pricing your services and offering your value and putting it out there and confidently showing up with what you know you're capable of. That's my whole story, by the way. Um, do you find that you, you had to struggle with that at any point? where you aren't sure, what is this really worth? Am I really the one to do it? Is anyone going to care? I think it's a constant thing that we're all considering all the time. Um, I call it the who do you think you are voice. Um, a, lot of, a lot of women struggle with that. And, and um, so for me, the first time I put it out there that I wanted to do the year program, I made it doable enough. And I was terrified, of course. And then the second year I did it, I told the people who were in that group currently what the new I doubled my price and one of the women at that lunch table did this little snort like she went like you know really derisive kind of thing and I could feel my whole insides just shrink like how dare you mm -hmm. and I will say and what was interesting though was that there was like three or four of the people in that group that said, I'm going along with you simply because you're modeling something I need to learn to do. And if I'm around you, mm -hmm. I'm going to learn how to do it. And that really woke up something in me that said, you know, 
it really is true that price is kind of an elastic thing. It really is all around your mindset. And you see people who get big and bold and just keep raising the bar for themselves. And then there are some people, secretly sensitive people, who really struggle with that. Like, oh, yeah. But I think it's worth going through the struggle. And you, there's a few things I'd say to that. One is you do it scared. Two is, I mean, you get accountability. You have a coach, hopefully, that can really hold that space for you. And you have to also live through the nose. You got to live through the people saying no. You got to live through the derisive snort. And you have to be willing to let people not like you. Because <laughs> there's a lot of charge around money. Mm. Even before you brought in that last point about there's a lot of charge around money, um, everything you just you just highlighted, you have to get through the nose and you have to get comfortable with people not liking you. How has that shown up? Additionally, aside from the way, how has that shown up um, throughout your earlier years of, of growing up or as a teen or a young adult trying to come into your own when you've become aware that, mm, I had to do that for myself? Well, I mean, how it showed up for me my whole life is how it shows up for anybody who goes to public high school and lives through it. So there's that. And I, I do think that we all tend to have kind of um, trauma from those instances because we learn how to shrink. Mm. You know, our ego is nothing but sort of this little bird's nest of people's opinions and things that we've collected along the way and thrown together and we call it ourselves. Mm. So what we tend to do is we learn to negotiate and we learn to play a certain game or play small or stay in a confine. And for me, the thing that started to teach me to work my way out of it was when I did choose to go play music, the disapproval I got from my parents cannot be overstated. It was a constant message of you will fail. Like mm. there is no one else like this person that you love or no one, you, you, you know, and what I started to learn, and I tell this story in the book about getting through this, I talk about the story of the, the monk who goes to the monastery and knocks on the door and he gets the door slammed in his face over and over and over. And after he's been there a while, he gets let in. I think that's sort of the, I started, when I heard that story the first time, I realized that's what this is all about, is that, the, that we are constantly being, and I don't want to say tested as if the universe is a testing ground, mm -hmm. but I think we truly go through kind of um, tests in terms of, are you sure you want to do this now? Are you going to do this? Are you going to go back to playing small or playing, playing the games that we all play? You know that? And um, I'm not sure if I answered your question, but this whole journey for me has been a path of kind of each, each and every step I take, those things that come up, really using them to see what's the truth here. You know, what am I doing here? And am I going to do it because that one person reminds me of someone who hated me when I was a kid or is, and I'm going to play small and go appease their opinion of me? Or am I going to stand in my value? And what do I know my value to be? What am I worth? What do I do for people? Those are deep questions and they can't be answered in a quick hour long, you know, webinar online. <laughs> what do you stand for? What are your values? And I think that's probably why we both love Brene Brown so much is that she takes it that, that depth where you're really looking at it. It's a very raw feeling for a lot of people. Hey there, entrepreneurs. Eric Cabral here, founder of On Air Brands and host of the Entrepreneur Circle and Capital Hacking. I wanted to share something truly unique with you that we've created called Pod Max, which is an amazing opportunity to connect you with major podcasts to help you share your fascinating stories with their communities. This unique invitation-only event includes interviews with you on top-rated business podcasts all in one day. It also provides a unique networking opportunity with high-performance guests and thought leaders who are authors, coaches and consultants, investors, speakers, executives, you name it. These are the type of people that you need to be around. We also provide industry expert keynotes to hit our stage to share insights on podcasting, investing, marketing to help you take things to the next level. And the cool thing about Podmax is that it has a multimedia agency engine behind it with on-air brands to provide social media promotions before and after the event to share your brand new shows with your network. So hit the apply now button at podmax.co and I hope to see you at the next Podmax event. What would your parents have hoped you would have gone towards back in that day? Well, I had a nice 
steady cubicle job at Ogilvy and Mather. And I was, you know, very impressive to all their, I, they would have loved it if I'd stayed that and stayed with my boyfriend and had a traditional life. Cause it just, it's not, it's not triggery. I don't think that they, after a while, they started to realize, oh, we're not going to stop this, this crazy child we bore. So it's eventually they got into it, especially when I started putting out CDs and they'd come to shows that were sold out and all that. Suddenly they had the proof, but I think ideally it would have been something in academia, which is what my whole family was tuned into was they're very, they're very much in the college university professorial world. What did you do at Ogilvy? You're in marketing. It was a P. It was Ogilvy and Mather PR in DC. So I was yeah. a I was a junior account executive, which was synonymous with, you know, do whatever the hell we have left over and go and run our errands and and make yourself worthy, and then we'll we'll promote you perhaps. You were working in a PR agency. I was briefly like it was only a year out of college. Like oh, it was okay. not like, wow, I was really high executive. It was like that sounds impressive. And we all love that name, but it wasn't an impressive job at all. And I was not happy. I was in a cubicle. The whole works. Now, isn't that funny? Because that's that's shining a light on the fact that, um, you know, one can say image is everything. So you could have risen that albeit miserable on the inside yeah, with my but, soul wanting to jump right, out the window right like hey i'm working at ogilvy <laughs> i'm rising the ladder here i'm you know i'm i'm impressive wouldn't have been the case but i wonder what you learned because it seems like everything you're about today has its roots and foundation in pr Everything from you said, you already had the built-in audience when the time came. Uh, you were selling out shows. You I learned that from reading. online marketers. Yeah. I, I mean, I have every, all due respect for David Ogilvy and everything sure. in that advertising world. But, and I s sort of studied that in college, but I didn't start understanding marketing until I started reading Dan Kennedy. There you go. And I, I, I almost, when I was a musician, it's very surprising because Dan Kennedy would seem like to be the opposite of somebody an artist would follow. But I started to realize, because he's so, so plain spoken, mm -hmm. and he made so much sense to me. And I was, a, you know, an independent record label. I didn't have any big, big force field behind me or any whole giant amounts of money behind me. And I felt this freedom in, oh, you mean I get to do this myself? And oh, this is on me and this is how I do this. And I don't have to be scared of my list. You know, <laughs> like they're going to be angry with me for mailing, you know, all that kind of stuff. It taught me so much about communication and language and being seen and mm. being rejected and having that be okay. And that's where I really learned it was studying people like all so many of the people who are out there that were really great at teaching that or are really great at teaching that. What did we learn about language and communication? You said it's important. So artists tend to be very apologetic. So emails beginning with, hey, I'm so sorry I wrote you last week and I'm gonna write you this week. And a lot of explaining yourself, no one cares. Like anchor to what's amazing, anchor, like people, like those sorts of things, little tiny things. And even watching the way, you know, someone like Dan would write and, and studying copy and realizing, I, I probably could have learned all this in college, but for whatever reason, I did not really understand it. And really marketing to me is nothing more than communication. Mm -hmm. It's not, I think marketing is a weird word. People get resistant about it. It's it, uh, two ways I look at it. One, it's putting energy out there. It's energy, 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 and it's communication. And a lot of people look at it as sleazy, so they avoid it. But ultimately marketing, what I got from Dan Kennedy is that it's a service. It's a service because you think about your, ideal client more than they think about themselves. You think about your message more than they might think about it. And I think a lot of times as an artist, what I found with myself was there was this kind of um, entitlement that kind of comes with it of like, I shouldn't have to explain my art or I shouldn't have to. What There's so much like entitlement that was there for me. And I've seen it with other people that I know as well. And on stage, one of the things I did was I would do a little banter in between songs. And there was one song, there's a song that I wrote called Right Out of Nowhere. And I tell this story in my book of this one woman who came up to me who told me that listening to that song, she showed me her tax documents 
after the show and she said that song made her pay more in taxes that year than she ever had to pay because she was a coach and she took more chances because she listened to that song every morning. And when I told that story on stage, everyone in the room <laughs> ran to the CD table and said, what's the song that made all the money? And I, I was like, I was starting to read Dan Kennedy then. And I went, this is really like people love the stories. They don't remember the song. That's like, what's the tax song? The one, the woman who made all the taxes. They didn't remember it was called right out of nowhere. And so I started to realize people's brains don't work the way we think they work. And what if I actually tuned in and started serving by being able to tell the stories that they want to hear as opposed to you should all just be happy to listen to my beautiful art <laughs> or, or whatever things we say in our head. I don't know if that made, all, made sense or answered your question. Of course it did. <laughs> For you personally, was there a moment that you're aware of growing up where you were so enthralled by music that you consciously thought, I'm going to do this with my life. It came later. I, I had such a low self-esteem and I, I'm not trying to act martyry. I was a very uh, emotionally broken child. So I was bulimic. I was pretty depressed. I was mm. kind of suicidal. I had very little belief in myself. And I, part of why I love this thing of like, do this, do all this stuff that triggers you because it takes you out of your despondency. Like being, to me, being a little scared is better than being depressed. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense. But when I, for my, when I started to see that there was a possibility in life, it was right when I got out of college and I started to meet different kinds of people and I started going to shows. And the first person I ever saw was Mary Chapin Carpenter and it was at the Birchmere in Washington, D.C. And she was so normal hmm. and so someone like me. And I loved her music so much. And I said to myself, oh, my God, I think I think I could maybe do this. You know, it was a little tiny seed of hope was planted in me. And uh, up till then, it had always been just people who were on TV and they all looked bigger, larger than life. And that was something that you just didn't think about in my family. So you didn't pursue it until, or at least in the up, up in your head until you were in college? Like no yeah. playing or singing at events? I played and piano. I sang a tiny bit. I sang mm. in our, I was a, I grew up in a uber Catholic family. I sang in the church choir. I always loved it, but I never given myself a chance to do it. I was not that child who started playing guitar at 11 and couldn't get, wait to get in front of people. It's a very unusual story, which is why I feel like I, I always said to people, I'm a poster child for getting over fear. It's why I think I'm a really good coach because there's not a lot people can bring me that I can't coach someone through because I've been through it myself hmm. and I've reached levels of success that I never dreamed possible. So you've never dreamed possible. You also said that you growing up had very little belief in yourself. Why? I mean, that's a question I don't even think that the mind can answer at some level. And again, I don't mean to get like woo or try to anchor back to the title of the book, the whole idea of soul source, I really think that we're each here on our own path and on our own track. And I, you know, if I sit there and I name all these reasons, I think I was a ridiculously sensitive child and there probably wasn't enough, <laughs> whatever I brought into this planet with me, probably wasn't enough you could feed that with. And I took all kinds of things personally. I couldn't, you know, I just, for whatever reason, I grappled with a lot of different things. But none of that is to say that we have to stay with the psychological terrain of all of this. Um, like I said, breaking out of that, reaching out to people who had different views of the world, small bits of encouragement from people, all those things I started to realize, oh, there's a whole other world out there. So I'm grateful for that past. And I'm grateful for that paradigm because once I started to get out of it, I realized, wow, <laughs> That was so not true. There's so much else here. So uh, what, ha what happened in 2009 when you left the music behind? So I actually knew I was going to leave music in 2005. I actually had this feeling of, I know this isn't it. I know there's something more. And I watched myself and I, I asked myself, do you want to just walk away? And I realized, you know, that wasn't going to be the way it's done. 
all I said was I'm going to plant the intention and know there's something, there's another step out there. And then I watched. And in 2006, I started blogging. And that, that was back when people read blogs. And my iTunes sales increased 300% the first, like within a few months of blogging because people were reading it and they were downloading my, I had a free song that went with it. And then I, and then I off, I was doing the retreats and then I, I, in 2007, I, I put my retreat online into a teleseminar version, like a, like a little sem, a mini seminar where I was writing and sending these off to people, sending the lessons off every day. And that started selling. And what happened was that intention started to open up before my very eyes. And I kept making CDs. I was, I actually was on tour that one year with two different dance companies that choreographed ballets to my music. And so I got to go on their tour bus with them and go to big performing arts centers. And it was just beautiful and wonderful. And I started to just know it's coming around to that time. I'm going to make my last CD and start this thing because the other side of it, the coaching requests and the Mm. joy I felt from coaching people was starting to be ever present. And that's what, it was very organic, but I, and I didn't make any big giant announcement. I made my last CD. I had a CD release show and I moved into coaching kind of quietly. I love the connection between what we just spoke about prior, which is you having very little belief in yourself to these moments of actualization and realization that, wow, I can do this. You moved in quietly and here you are today. So seeing those points on the map, isn't that how confidence and the ability in oneself is created? Let's break that down for a minute. How did it happen? So we all think that confidence is going to come first. We'll get confident first and we'll take the action, but commitment comes first. And so the, for me, like the quitting of the job and then going, you know, going for the music career and the getting my first gig and putting it on the calendar and then doing it terrified and then saying, okay, this is my last CD and then doing the coaching company terrified. All of those things, the commitment always creates the skill set because you're now you're moving through it. You've committed, you've got a date booked, you've got a deadline, you've got whatever it is. You said, I'm going to do a podcast. Here it is. You didn't have all the skill sets you needed to do a podcast, but you committed first and then you got more confident. Now you're like, oh, I can do this, you know? And so the, the, the commitment always is first. The confidence gets built from, from walking through it and making a ton of mistakes and realizing you don't die. I love the phrase you said, doing it terrified stands to be repeated, doing it terrified. It's so true because the more, the more you feel that and do it, the more you really understand, okay, I'm doing it right. Cause that's the only way that, you know, we know growth happens and it needs to be or else there's no stretch and growth. Yeah. And your body gets better at filtering the fear. Like I don't sit around being, I mean, the, having the book come out, I will say was a new level of fear. Cause I, it felt like I was putting a CD out in the world again. I'd never, you know, I hadn't done a CD in so long and I was putting all of my, my teachings and framework down on paper for anybody. And that was scary, but I, I will say terror. I can filter it now. Like I can feel it. It's a different relationship with it. I don't, it doesn't floor me anymore. And if it does, I know how to, I know how to see it and feel it and work with it. It just doesn't have the same hold on me anymore if that yeah. makes sense. I, I think we've become better at managing ourselves or navigating ourselves. It's true. And I just finished up a book on mental toughness. And <laughs> really the whole, the whole point and idea in part was that this is something that you can strengthen. This is something that you can build. This is something you can improve on and work towards. And it's true. The more that you understand what's required, what the benefits are and why it is what it is, the more you could work into it and understand that, Oh, okay. This is something that I can, I can build up like a muscle. Yeah. I remember at my very first gig, I was terrified on stage. I was, I was like, just, I couldn't stop being scared. And I was asking a, a friend of mine, he was in the audience and a, a older, wiser person. And he said, Christine, you've spent 20, you know, 20, I guess at that point I was 25, 25 years stuffing your dreams, putting them aside telling people that, you know, different stories and whatever. And now you're doing the, the, the thing 
that has been on your list forever, it would make sense that this is just energy coming through. It's mm. not fear. It's just energy. And I really, I, once I saw that, I realized, yeah, of course I'm, you know, it's so much happening here now. We all just process it differently. And once I really got that, I was able to, to face it each, each and every time more head on. How amazing of a quote that that wise person told you that you're just doing something that was on your list forever. <laughs> and w what I feel today, you know, through um, uh, introspective and self-awareness is that I personally, I know what I'm capable of. I've always known what I've been capable of. I just made excuses for it and, you know, put it aside and lived in fear. But I'm, I'm of the belief that we all know darn well what our potential is, what we're capable of. We're just scared out of our minds too often to really take action on that. And I think the word potential is pretty high. It's pretty triggery for people. It's a highly charged word because anyone who's ever been told, oh, you have so much potential, especially in, when you're in college and you've just got like <laughs> no idea and you're told you have a lot of potential, suddenly... I think it's it's cause for like you just start, oh, I better get this right. And and you don't realize potential means, yeah, go mess up a whole lot. Go be no one for a long time. I think we think it means we're going to suddenly, you know, have the corner office and go and take it all, take that corporate over or whatever it might be. And you realize that, yeah, potential, what you just described, seeing something inside of yourself, that deep very quiet knowing that something else is going on here. Something else is meant to happen here. And you know it when it's true for you, but it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the, you know, approving gaze of the adults in your life or of the, of the people all around you, especially at first. And as you create that thing and you reach that potential, suddenly their opinions matter less and less and less. And you thought it would matter like so much at the time, but it, it, doesn't <laughs> once you achieve that thing mm. so then you you spoke about the book which recently came out available now on amazon the sole sourced entrepreneur why the timing for the book because 2020 wow what a great year to release a book you know nothing's going on just people <laughs> i don't know um it's i wrote it I knew I, I just, I started plotting away at it and I didn't actually, I'm not somebody who, I'm not an outliner, as they say, I'm an inliner, meaning some people write books from an outline. They know exactly what that book's going to say mm. from the start. They have it all written down. And I, I learned from a writing coach. I'm an inliner. I let the writing go and the outline starts to reveal itself from the internal workings of that book. And I think the same thing happened in terms of the release of that. Once I started writing it, I started to realize, oh, there's something here. And I, and then I met an agent and he said, oh, send me your book proposal. He, and I took some time off from my book to write the proposal. He signed me within 48 hours of receiving it and said, I think the world needs this book. So it was kind of like that, that whole source, soul sourced thing works for me as well. So I kind of have to let go and trust. And then when I signed with a publishing company, they said, we really want to take some time with this. And because it's election year, we think we should wait till after the election. So I kind of <laughs> let them determine that. And then of course the drama, this stuff that's happened this year and, and really the, some of the reviews I've seen from people have said this book came out at the perfect time because this is what we all need. And I never really thought of it that way of like now more than ever, we're all being called to go deeper mm. and explore this side, this, this trust in who we are and, and our own voice and our own direction and our own wisdom and all this space and stillness and silence that's been created. And so I guess I'm going to accept that it was perfect timing as opposed to me planning it. Mm. I love what else can you do? <laughs> yeah. What was, choice do we have? <laughs> I was thinking that. I think that that's the right, right plan. I love the idea of, I've never heard that before. Um, you're not much of an outliner. You're much more of an inliner. I like exactly where that's going. Um, it's also amazing that um, the book came out and you said it hit uh, number one status. On, in women in business. So, yeah. yeah. And it climbed a bunch of other charts too. So... 
Um, and I've had friends send me screenshots of because Obama's book came out the same day. And all last week, people were getting like recommended for you. And it was my book plus his book, which oh, cracked me up. I, so great it was though. just like, I know what a great little thing. I loved that. So, yeah, it's it's done exceedingly well. And we're, we're still, you know, the audio still hasn't gone out, even though that it's been ready to go. I don't know why, what the delay is, but that's going to happen soon, too. So on Audible. Yeah. 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 Did you record it or did you I have somebody? Did. Of course you did. I mean, you're an artist. You're a performer. I'm a musician. I had to do my own book. Yeah. I'd see no other way than to do. How was that experience? <laughs> so I think it depends on who the engineer is on the other side of the screen. Um, and it is. it can be tedious to hear yourself read your own book and start to realize, wow, I could have written this so much better. Or wow, you know, but you just do it. And I... I one time I saw Elizabeth Gilbert came to Asheville before Eat, Pray, Love. I mean, it was big, but it wasn't huge. And she came to a bookstore here in Asheville and it was full, but I got to ask her about reading her own books and I loved her reading her own books. And she said, you know what? I just sat down and I just decided I was going to have fun. And it was a blast. And I kept remembering her saying that as I was reading my own book. And I, so the voices, those little voices went to the back and I just let myself have fun. And uh, the engineer was just really sweet and great and gracious with it. And just, we did it for a full week. Yeah. And, uh, I, I recommend it for people, but I also think some people just don't want to get a great reader. There's a lot of them out there. It's absolutely true. Big Audible fan. I mean, I think it's... I um, love Audible. The whole thing with, um, I mean, Amazon for hardcover book, you want to purchase it. Audible, you want to listen to it. Then, my goodness, there. Then, you know, Trifecta with Kindle. You want to get the, uh, the you know, the, the e-book. It's just, it's just phenomenal. And I am, a, I am. I'm a triple buyer on a lot of things where I will get the Audible and then I'm kind of going, well, I got to read this and I want it in my hands. Yeah. And it's just all different types of experiences. So I am, I am that person. It's just absolutely incredible. Um, I want to talk about intention for a moment because it's not, uh, it's not difficult to see that that's, that's uh, prominent in your world, especially right before we started recording. You, you made a comment about that. You set the intention for what you want to do, how you want this time to go. How does that word play into seemingly everything you do? Yeah, I, I, I teach it and I live it in that intention is not just, oh, what am I going to do next year? You know, I, what am I going to make in my business? I, I set an intention. I used to do it before every show I did. Um, mm -hmm. I would stand backstage and I had this little back and forth where I would remember who, why I was there and what I do this for. And this was, of course, after I'd gotten over all my need for applause. And I would have this little moment where, where I would just sort of call in, you know, my own version of the divine. I don't like to apply that to anybody else sure. or give it names. And I would say, okay, this is who I am. This is what I want to be. You got this. I got this good. And I would go out on stage. But I do that now before podcasts, before Q&As with clients, before one-on-ones with clients. And it's not like I light candles and get all, you know, dance in circles around the room. I just remember what I'm here to do. I remember that I'm here to serve and that ultimately all each of us is doing is service. And so I do that with, a, with any little situation. But then intention in your business I think is such a beautiful process because we often think of it as a one-time thing and then we look around a year later and say, damn, that didn't work. Intention doesn't work. Intention is something you're building a relationship with. Hmm. And so we've all seen those times where we set an intention. We didn't quite make it by the time we thought we were going to have it. That's the time to come back into relationship with your intention. And so intention is something you're in relationship with all the time. And so if it feels like something got in the way, like, well, I was going to buy that house and someone came and put an offer in above mine. Great. Go back to that intention. S revisit it. See who you are now. Is it still there? Do you still want this? Re-anchor to it. And even in coaching, I, I worked with Dan Sullivan for, for six years or five or six years. And there was one point where I went into the room with them and I just looked at him. I said, I'm so glad I'm here all my stuff came up this quarter. And, and he said, this is why we do these every quarter because gravity strikes. And I loved that phrase because gravity strikes, meaning 
All your old stuff is there. These are conditioned patterns we all have. And so you reconnect, you re-anchor, you re-decide. These are the things I teach my clients. And so you reconnect with that intention over and over again, not just by rote, like you read it and read it and read it, but you really bring yourself to it. And then I think all the practices we entrepreneurs create are really geared towards that, like step back in every week, see who you are, every morning, see who you are, whether it's meditation or reconnecting to your team, whatever it might be. That's what's really happening here. We're gathering all this energy and we're refocusing it because stuff happens all the time, all the time. Our world is nothing but happening. And so that, that as much as we can be centered and grounded, I think we bring that much more power to those happenings. We were talking before we went on the air about how we got connected. And it was, in fact, through our mutual friend and colleague, John David Mann, the co-author of The Go-Giver and the entire Go-Giver series and a whole plethora of other amazing business and life best-selling books. Uh, He connected us. And I made the comment also that of my vast library of shows, when often asked, what's my favorite, I point to my episode with him, which is episode 99. But truly, Christine, this is certainly up there with the best uh, best conversations. Well, it's, I yeah. am. I just got chills when you said that I wasn't expecting that at all. But I'll, I'll sit a few steps under John David Mann any old day. <laughs> no, this is really, uh, r- really valuable, really satisfying. Obviously, we could go on and on and on. Uh, you bring so much to the table. I see why uh, you are in the position you're in. Your, your, your clients and potential clients are certainly lucky to have you on their side. And uh, I'm excited to follow the rest of your journey now that we're connected. Thank you for stopping by today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been such an honor and a delight and I really love what you're doing here and what you're all about for your for your clients and peeps and listeners and all that so thank you great thank you so much uh, again I know that uh, we'll continue this conversation in uh, in some form or another and I want to thank everybody for tuning in today thank you so much for spending your time I hope you got as much out of this as I have it's going to be one that I'm going to re-listen to over and over look at my notes again and again thank you for stopping by we're going to do it again before too long until we do go get them Thanks for listening to The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Make sure to subscribe through iTunes or Google Play so you can get notified every time we publish a new episode. And we'd love to hear your thoughts with an honest review on iTunes. Finally, follow us on your favorite social media platforms to keep the conversation going with Josh Carey and today's guest. Until next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.